All right. Well, thanks for being with me here, Trina. So glad to have you. Um, you and I have had some conversations offline talking about your incredible story. It's a frightening story. It's a very sad story. Um, for the day that you told me, I ended up recording a video log that day and my my visceral rage just came out in that video, unlike yeah. I've done before, because it's just so infuriating what's happened to you. And I know that has happened to so many others. And so the goal of this conversation is to have you tell your story. And that way we can warn other parents and other people across this country of Canada about what's really going on. I don't think a lot of people don't know. I think we're getting some hints as to how bad things have gotten in our medical system here. But without hearing this story, I don't think people will grasp just how bad it is. So um, so glad you're here. Thank you for doing this. And um, where would you like to begin? I, I actually just want to let people know that you're a registered holistic nutritionist. You mm -hmm. have your own website, foodfuel.com, trying yeah. to teach people about how to achieve optimal health and a healthy lifestyle. So amazing work you're doing. Um, so yeah, where would you like to begin in telling your story? Um, probably best to begin from to start from the beginning so people will get an understanding of how things happen. Um, so issues happened with my both my children that I left traditional medicine about eight years ago anyways in regard to utilizing that service because I knew that there were some challenges with it. And um, both children have mast cell activation and histamine. That's one of the reasons that I went into um, holistic nutrition in the first place. I couldn't find answers within traditional medicine. And up until this time, Mackenzie was in a really good place, and so was her sister. So um, the reason I mentioned her sister is because they both have similar issues, but thank goodness we haven't gone down this road with, um, with my youngest child. So um, we ended up going to a local hospital Hill Orangeville, and um, Mackenzie, certain things came on very quickly with Mackenzie. And... Um, Truth be told, there were certain things that she had kind of hadn't told me as well, right? So there's some bowel issues and stuff like that that were had flared up for her and that um, she hadn't been 100% um, truthful with me. So things escalated. We ended up in Orangeville. And in Orangeville, they didn't feel comfortable to um, assess her or, or to keep her there. They want, they want Within Ontario, sick kids in McMaster are two of the hospitals that everybody thinks are the be-all or end-all. And I do realize there's a time and place for hospitals, and I do realize that um, they're there for a purpose, but at the same time, um, how this escalated will show a different side of that. So right. the choice was between going to McMaster, or actually I didn't have a choice. They wanted me to go to sick kids. I didn't want to go to sick kids, but that's where they sent us. When we got into sick kids, um, Mackenzie, long story short, we were in there for two weeks as they were assessing her and trying to figure out what was going on. She was feeling better. I have to keep in mind, Mackenzie reacted to everything. I'm talking about blood products, which we didn't want to do, but you kind of don't have a choice because her um, anemia was incredibly, it was really low. Her blood count was low and they couldn't figure out what was going on. I brought in testing that um, she had had a GI map done, which is a comprehensive stool analysis. And it's something that I also work with to show that she had underlying aligning strep and staph in the past and um, that there, I wanted them to rule out any underlying issues. So two weeks in, she was feeling better. Um, but by that time, they, I'd, I'd contacted outside help, couldn't get any. 
I looked for second opinions. Within Sick Kids, your child is treated as, um, oh, oh my gosh, what's the proper terminology? Under the Health Care Consent Act, and I'm, I'm blanking, um, based on your age within Canada, there is no assessment for uh, your ability to choose medically, even children. So it's based upon the doctor's um, ability to choose or deem that child capable. At that time, Mackenzie was deemed capable. And at 12 years old, sick kids will not allow you to assess their medical files. So they had me chasing my tail for, oh my gosh, over a week that we were in there, I couldn't get access to her files, almost a week and a half. I got her signature because you had to get her signature to get um, access. And by the time that I did get access, lo and behold, they had decided that she had cancer. So what was interesting about that conversation is when I was brought into the room of five different doctors, the hematology doctor could not find anything. They knew there was something in her blood, but they couldn't find what it was. Now he has experience for 25 years. Okay, so then the head of hematology, Dr. Whitlock, he found that magic solution for Mackenzie. Um, I have to also say Mackenzie's biracial. So um, there was also a very big interest within the genetic component of the hospital because um, I believe at the time that we were there, she was the only biracial child. So then there was that component. So automatically this hematology specialist, 25 years, couldn't figure anything out, and in comes Dr. Whitlock and says that she has acute lymphoblastic leukemia. I wasn't concerned about the cancer diagnosis. Um, I was concerned about the treatment options. And right. I also knew at that time, getting her out of that system was going to be very hard, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. <laughs> So but, you kind of, you approach this, I think, like many parents would, you're going to sick kids hospital, you believe when you bring them in, you're going to have full control over the situation as a parent, you're going to be informed every step of the way about what's going to happen, you're going to be given options. And if you, we were to imagine that, you know, just to speculate wildly that Canada was a free country, you would have the ability to decide if those treatments were right for your daughter or not, or to seek other opinions on it. That would be the impression that one would go into a hospital in Canada with, right? Correct. And so, um, but what's really sad is the majority of professionals outside of that hospital view sick kids as a BL or NL. So trying to get a second opinion is almost impossible. And sick kids will recommend you to McMaster to get your second opinion because they work very closely. So what I found very interesting about that is when I was reaching out, I mean, I contacted fun functional doctors. I contacted um, doctors in the States. Um, I contacted people in Mexico. I was looking everywhere. And at that time where I couldn't get her file, I could get four pages of her file before treatment was to start. That's it. They wouldn't give me anything else. They wouldn't release her um the medical notes and stuff like that, that had been, um, I've since gotten them, but I had to uh, fight for that too, but I'll tell you that in a few minutes. So Mackenzie looked at me, she didn't want to do the treatment, but she said she would do whatever I wanted to. I had reached out to a few people who are in um, various different groups, like um, outside, like Vaccine Trace Canada. I just consulted with a good friend of mine. And at that time, two of the doctors that had seen the four pages were like, yeah, she's going to need some help and or a little bit of treatment if you can get her out, but I knew I wouldn't be able to get her out. So Mackenzie said, I will do what you wanna do. And I said, Mackenzie, I will work to get you out. 
So that was my goal to work to get her out because at that time I couldn't find anybody who would help. And as things, as things progressed, people will understand how complicated it is to get them out anyways. So when we started the treatment, um, so keep in mind, Mackenzie had reacted to blood product. She had reacted to antibiotics. She had reacted to um, any of the pre things that they had given her IV. She had a major hard time with all of that. So when they started treatment in Canada, which I think I, I did provide you a document that most people don't know. Most kids go into remission um, within the first um, month. So within induction for ALL, so within this particular type of cancer. Parents aren't told that though. Parents are just not told and they slide them into the next until they keep them in for the two years. It's two years for girls, it's three years for boys. Um, and and so, just, just to slow that down for people, so you would have, uh, they're saying in that in that document, and I can provide people with that, that they the most children with her type of cancer, if that's what it was, because we'll have to get into how that might not have even been what it was. Mm -hmm. um, if that's what it was, then that type of cancer within children very quickly goes into remission with this kind of treatment. That's correct. Ninety. So order. between ninety-seven and ninety-eight percent of these children go into remission. And I will jump back a bit, so because you brought up the possibility of it not being um, in the initial um, stages of assessing her, her vitamin B levels were 2,940 and her folate levels were 948. I don't give her vitamin B. So Mackenzie um, had symptoms of MTHFR. So meaning the chances that she did have that genetic component, which is very hard to convert vitamin B was, was very likely. And it was one of the assessments that had been done when she was little, but I hadn't reassessed her um, recently, even though the genetic component wouldn't change. When they brought that up, ALL, which is a cancer that she was diagnosed with, there are journals that show that there were three or four children that actually were given that diagnosis in the States. Thankfully, that hospital allowed them to be taken to uh, another hospital for a second opinion that actually looked at the whole body and reassessed and retested and found out that they did have the vitamin B deficiency and the MTHFR component. So they didn't have cancer. They were literally deficient in vitamin B, which one of the GI map testing that I provided to them, her secretory IgA, which coats the intestinal tract, it protects the intestinal tract. Hers was incredibly low which would fall within celiac and Crohn's and colitis and those types of things being so low, but it would also uh, make it very, very hard to absorb nutrients and the vitamins and that type of thing. When I brought that up to them, they totally blew me off. Um, and then I couldn't get anybody from the outside to, to help me because it's not just me, it's doctors and lawyers that are treated in the same way. So this is a very common thing. It has nothing to do with even education. It has to do with how the team views it. So when we started the procedure, Vinnie Kristen and Donna Rubikin are awful. But between those two, they, they're like a 20 minute session. You get a five minute of one and 15 minutes another. She could tolerate those. Um, but at the same time, both of those actually would cause heart issues over the long run. So they'll give you the, the lowdown. They'll be like, okay, so just wanna let you know, um, 30 years time, you're likely gonna have heart issues. And Mackenzie goes, but what if I don't want heart issues? Oh, you're going to die of cancer. 
um, the chances of fertility, you might not be able to have babies. And she goes, but I want babies. And Mackenzie is such a loving kid. And she wanted to be a mom. And I saw she like mom and a therapist. Those are the two things that she wanted as she grew up. And um, so she goes, I don't want to do it for that. And then they were like, oh, and cancer is a possibility. But they kind of like blow that, right? Really, really like quick. And I looked at them and I said, if cancer is a possibility, you're telling her right now she has an 80% cure rate. I'm confused because she's going to get cancer anyway. And they were like, well, no, she's going to die now. She doesn't get cancer treatment anyways. This doesn't make sense. I said, if an adult can make a choice and go somewhere, like a child should have the similar, the exact same rates, to be honest. And under the Healthcare Consent Act, we do. But hospitals will treat that very differently. So when Mackenzie and I discussed it further, she goes, I want babies. I said, I know I can't figure out a way to pull you out of this without this going really bad. And I, I didn't know what to do. So all the, when I did speak to two of my friends, one is an oncologist who's a naturopath. He said he felt based on the four pages, she needed something. And this other doctor did as well. Um, Sick Kids has gone after him. So he was more cautious. So when we started the treatment, like I said, the Vinnie Kristen, the Don Rubikin, she seemed okay with. Um, and then she had her first <laughs> treatment of asparaginase. Asparaginase is made from E. coli. So when people talk about E. coli, we have that in our intestinal tract. So if a person has high bacteria counts, so you go inject them with that for cancer treatment, that person is literally going to quite likely have anaphylaxis. So I had expressed my concern Mackenzie had expressed her concern, and Dr. Gupta's comment was, um, uh, he's like, oh, we see that in this, the dose that's in the next stage of treatment. I have never in my 15 years seen anybody have anaphylaxis in this treatment. And this part, I said, okay, I'm just letting you know. And he goes, well, we can medicate her beforehand. So the solution within the hospital is that they give them um, antihistamines. So they'll give them as many as they see fit to subdue the uh, anaphylaxis reaction. That child never knows that they're still having a reaction. The receptors are just turned off. That's how it works. Like think of a house, you know, go up to the top of your house, turn off those light switches. Everything underneath, the lights are still on. You're still, energy is still being used. Your bill is still going to be a certain amount high, right? That's how our bodies work. So the surface receptors, depending on whatever ones they choose, between an H1, H2, H3, H4 receptor, they were trying to turn those off so then Mackenzie wouldn't know what was going on. And Mackenzie's like, no, no, it's my body. I want to know what's going on. So I was sitting, I was there with her. I wasn't going to leave. She's just getting ready to bite something. They started the, and the treatment. And when they do this treatment, like they're all completely garbed to protect themselves from the chemicals getting on them. So like, really? They so just so we, just so we get this <laughs> right. So, um, they started cancer treatment, right? Mm -hmm. And what kind of, I guess it's just, this is the first round of the chemotherapy Yeah. So this was oh, the first round okay. asparaginase, which is one of the major components within AML. And so like they literally have gloves and a gown and glasses and everything because it's so toxic. Like if it touches their skin or anything like that, and you are ordered or advised, I should say, you're advised after to wear gloves when you're helping her, she needs to go to the bathroom or anything like that for a few days because it's so toxic. If it touches me, I can become affected. But like they don't give wow. the parents anything and they don't give the child anything because they're injecting it into them anyways because you know it's ki killing cancer. 
So it's killing um, everything else too, unfortunately. Literally. Yep. So um and we were just standing there and she was eating because like they put them on prednisone as well. So prednisone is the magic bullet for cancer treatment. Mackenzie reacted to every form. She had to get, go to the liquid uh, prednisolone because the um, she couldn't handle it. It actually would make her sick. She'd break out in a reaction, blotches all over. I've got loads of documentation with pictures and everything. I just didn't know if it was right to share it for this because it's still raw for me, but there's enough mm -hmm. documentation to show. And... Um, so she's eating and then she grasps and she's and, she, and I knew she was choking and I knew she was having anaphylaxis and she's crying out. She literally had just turned it on. If it had been on 15 seconds, like that's it. And she starts screaming and I'm like, freak, like I held my cool, but I freaked out after I, I told the nurse, turn it off, stop it right now. She was like, mommy, I'm so sorry. I'm choking. I'm like you're not choking. You're having anaphylaxis. Now Mackenzie had had, anaphylaxis when she was little so I was familiar with it she can't remember it because I kept her well and that was never an issue anymore and she starts to freak, freak out and she's screaming and she's grabbing at her head because earlier that day what they do before this treatment is they do a lumbar puncture and in that lumbar puncture so they they were they're very kind to these kids and I'm being very sarcastic they do a lumbar puncture in the morning and they'll do a treatment in the afternoon so they've already injected chemo into her. She had to lay flat for an hour to prevent their headaches. And Dr. Punnett actually has renamed them. It's neuroinflammation is what it is. It's your brain being on fire, but they renamed it headaches to downplay the what happens to these kids. So and she that's, already- that's a result of, of the lumbar injection. Yeah. The puncture, okay. Yeah, and she was- um, so then they, after that process, um, so when we do the afternoon and had to do have her asparagines, um, that's when, so she had already had that, her brain was already inflamed, then they inject this into her. And when they injected it and she had the reaction, her brain, and that's one of the areas that was always sensitive for Mackenzie anyway, was her brain pre this. And of course, most of us are, but she had more of a sensitivity and she started screaming and begging for it to stop and, and asking, like she was screaming. 20 people came running to our door. They all came rushing in. She was like, make them go away. I ordered them all to leave, kept four in. She needed to go to the washroom. She barely made it to the washroom. As soon as she got up, her blood pressure dropped to 20. They gave her one EpiPen. Because by now, they haven't given her an EpiPen. Now, EpiPen for mast cell issues don't work anyway. It doesn't. And I had told them that. And I was like, please be careful because you're going to create more issue. So she sat on the toilet. And um, I was holding her. And she's like, you know, don't leave me. And I'm like, I'm not leaving you. And she was screaming. Like, think of a banshee. She was screaming. And I'm like, I was just keeping calm. And I was like, let's go, okay, Mackenzie, I'm right here. I won't leave you. And then when we got her back up on the bed, she lost vision. And she couldn't see me. And she's like, I can't see you. Can you help me? I can't see me. I said, I'm right here. I said, I'm right here. Had that she's ever happened she... before, Trina, for her, mm -mm. with the loss of vision? No, mm -mm. just after she's this. Never, she's never had headaches, loss of vision, nothing. And I'm like, and it, I was like, but when blood pressure drops like that, you're you're close to like your heart stopping, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, it's going to be okay. Let me just talk because there's blood pressure dysregulation. I said, you're going to be okay. And I, I got her to get back on the bed. And then 
they couldn't get her blood pressure to stabilize, but they weren't giving her a chance either. And all, all I, the nurse said, we're going to, do you want me to give her the next one? And I said, don't do it. If you do it, it's going to get worse. And they did it and she lost it. And she was screaming, make it stop, make it stop, please make it stop, please make it stop. And all the inflammation was in her head. And she was like, um, oh my gosh, think of the purple people eater. She broke out in all these blotches all over her, like that type of color all over her body. And like immediately. All, yeah, so, yeah. And, and her face, it looked like someone had punched her um, in her eyes. Her face became, it literally looked like she had been punched twice. This purple bruising came and it's, it's a mast cell um, type of reaction. Um, and it was so bad that it, it lasted for four days after that reaction. And so, get- so just to just sort of just so they did the first round of this treatment, they did the puncture at the lumbar, they did the first round of this drug, and she reacts to it, um, has incredible pain. They then do it again against your will. Well, they do and a then, double, so they do the double EpiPen against my will. They had stopped that. Oh. Okay, so they'd stop that. Um, well, they do other things, which you'll see, but they stopped that one and they did, it was the double EpiPen. So the first okay. EpiPen, she didn't need the second one. And the second one caused the additional inflammation in her brain where it was so bad that she was um, screaming. Like I haven't heard an adult scream like that. And so it was just a shrill shriek. Oh my God. And it took two and a half hours to calm down. And then um, the lead doctor called me out into the hallway and he goes, so I just want to let you know, this lowers her chance from an 80% chance of cure to 50% chance if we remove this. And I said, listen, the prednisone is playing an active role in this as well. I said, and she's in trouble. And he goes, yeah, well, we can't, the prednisone is what is the be all or end all because it enables them to suppress the immune system or to support the immune system or suppress it. So their treatment can go after the cancer. That's how, that's how their modeling works. So, so, so so their model, just so people get it, they need to bypass your body's immune system Mm -hmm. to get to the cancer using this interventive treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. But think about that. You're destroying the only defense that this child would have to anything. Mm -hmm. And because she's already susceptible and sensitive to a lot of these medications and drugs, and later down, you can even talk about her vaccine experience. Um, that when they're doing this, this is a, what did they, I remember you told me, this is like their standard practice, like standard of they care, look, standard of care. So standard mm-hmm. of care practice, they don't look at the individual. They just, this, we're doing this, we're, we're hacking the body, forget the immune system, get right in there. Meanwhile, she's reacting in front of their face to everything they're doing. But what's really sad is that's what happens to all the kids in here. So all the children, if they go through an anaphylaxis, that's part of the standard of care and the process and the parents are to push through it in order to kill the cancer. Never acknowledging that for a child to have anaphylaxis in the first place, their immune system is warning them. That's the standard of the way the body is designed to say, sorry, please stop. So um, he tried to kind of scare me and hoping he was positioning it in a way that I would consider doing asparaginase in the future. And I said, it's never happening. So he said, oh, there's another form. It's called Arwinia. Now, what's interesting is asparaginase is actually full of polysorbidating, 
and PEG. Mackenzie's allergic to both of those. Okay, so she had official diagnosis. They ran her blood because I asked for it. Um, they ran her blood and in running, running her blood, it came back that she has a severe allergy. Now, most people don't realize PEG and solid polycerbidated urine all vaccine are in Tylenol, Advil, just about every over-the-counter medication that you can get and every type of pharmaceutical that you can get in one form. So most of these kids are reacting to those ingredients, but the parents don't even know that. And that's one of the reasons I do believe and based on some of the scientific research is they lose their hair so quickly um, mm. is because they're being poisoned. So PEG mm. and uh, a polysorbidating opens up the blood brain barrier. So it oh, forces yes. it open. Okay. And PEG is all, and polysorbidating is found in pickles in a lot of our food preservatives and a lot of our food products. So a lot of people are eating that anyways, but in our home, it was organic and grass-fed and all that because of their food, not because I'm a food snob or anything. I just know how the food's treated and I knew what was best for the girls, excuse me, the girls based on their care. So, but it's also a different thing if you have something like that in, in a very small amount uh, and you're inject versus getting injected with it, right? Uh, There's a different type of reaction that can happen. Yeah. So then um, from there, he's like, well, we're going to try Arwenia. Arwenia doesn't have polysorbidity. <sighs> so the way it goes for that is she got to her first, her fourth dose. So they did it Monday, um, Tuesday, Friday, and then the following Monday. And then her blood pressure. So what's really interesting is how anaphylaxis shows in treatment for a lot of kids as well as their blood pressure. And when their blood pressure would drop um, below... Um, 60 and start and so hers was dropping down below 40 um, that that's anaphylaxis and they actually want to give EpiPens for that but EpiPens doesn't work for Mackenzie but what was interesting is saline actually would stop the progression of anaphylaxis but salt does that so there's a component within the body like salt plays an active role in, in helping calm down allergic reaction anyway and for her that worked so that day Dr. Gupta come run, came running in because the nurses were very upset with me that I was like, no, you're not giving her another EpiPen. And they ran the saline because he explained that, you know, I knew her, her at the time he was helpful to, you know, like uh, trying to work with me, even though we didn't want to be in this process. So he's like, no, let's listen to her. She knows Mackenzie. Mackenzie knows Mackenzie. So that was a little bit of an okay. That was probably the best time I've had with him. But anyway. Um, and he's like, okay, well now there's no other component for this. Like, so the only thing is, is the last lumbar puncture and bone aspiration and treatment is kind of done. So that's all we did for November. And she refused to have the last lumbar puncture done because they were going to do the um, uh, bone aspiration and lumbar punctures. I have to explain. So over this, the process, there's between 20 to 30 lumbar punctures in 10 months for these kids. By the time Mackenzie had her third lumbar puncture, which was before the last week of this treatment, she began to uh, lose the ability to open up things. She couldn't open up the doors. She was struggling with the ability to um, put pressure on her left leg. She would have pain radiating down. And we discussed this with the team and we were told first it didn't happen. And that's when I got upset and I said, I'm sorry, I've had to have um, an epidural 
for delivery and I had issues after like don't tell my child that what she's telling you doesn't happen because it does and um so she told them Dr. Gupta she's like I don't want another one I'm not doing it um I'm concerned I'm never going to be able to walk again and they're like oh we understand your concern why don't you go home and think about it so when we went home to think about it we also got her blood work back and she was in remission but they didn't tell us so they don't call it remission either the cancer is not active so when you're in the hospital, they're not going to say, oh, you're in remission because, you know, most parents would be like, yes, I can stop. Right. And then they have to deal with all that. Hmm. So Mackenzie, I was also using cannabis um, to help her as well um, and to keep her in a remissive state. And I told her if we got home. She didn't want to continue. I would fight for her not to have to continue. And that's when the fight really, really began. So Mackenzie was in a remissive state. We'd be or, or the cancer is not active in case anybody's going to listen to this and say have their own view right in the hospital they'll say the cancer is not active so um and then normally they won't tell you that so she was feeling great she was so excited and that's when things decided got worse because as i was navigating with the hospital um the lead was transferred from Dr. Gupta because we were in outpatients now to Dr. Pennant. And um, during this time, she, um, I didn't, she and I didn't see eye to eye on things at all. And um, she wasn't looking out for the best interests of Mackenzie as well. And she's one of the head researchers or one of the core researchers at SickKids. So um, during our appointments, I had requested through Zoom because I wouldn't go back into the hospital anymore because I knew exactly what was going to happen. When she stepped back in there, they want to move on to the next stage. So I had um, requested that they follow Mackenzie while she was, her cancer wasn't active. And um, should anything happen, then we would look at um, having to come back in. Meanwhile, I was looking for other people to help her and in hopes of finding someone to help her. And I mean, I'm talking all across Canada, people that I know. Um, anyway, and I couldn't, I was really struggling to find anybody. And then second opinions, um, all the second opinions were lining up with she still needed to be in treatment because it was going up against sick kids. So during that time, midway through December 17th, it was, they decided without me knowing to do a capacity hearing for Mackenzie. So one of our Zoom sessions, at this time, Mackenzie had still been deemed capable how sick kids works, and they're well known for this, is when a child is mature enough to question, if that frustrates them because they can't get the results they want, they will then deem that child not capable. And they will remove their capacity. What that means then is the parent is then um, the secondary decision maker. And so then the hospital is looking for the parent to be the strong arm, the militant arm of the hospital, and force that child to do whatever is deemed according to the hospital in their best interest. Now, at this time, I had provided journals to them. I provided doctors for mast cell that they could reach out to. I had requested um, a change in um, treatment options because, you know, what was in the best interest of Mackenzie. It wasn't until I put it in writing that Dr. Gupta had told us that it was a 50% cure rate after what, removing as, asparaginase that Dr. Pundit decided to put it in writing because he didn't respond to me. Um, and I I got legal counsel and one of the lawyers informed me, when you put something in writing to the hospital and the hospital doesn't counter it, 
um, within like with a with an email, that information is valid. So he wouldn't counter it, but Dr. Um, Pendant did. She was actually um, she. <laughs> She's like, I just need to let you know. And she had Dr. Gupta come in and she like on the Zoom call and she's like, um, we need to clarify this uh, 50, uh, you know, I don't know how he came to that, but she has anywhere between a 78, 80% cure rate. Now, in order for CAS to be enacted, if you start dropping below 50% um, cure rate, they don't have much power especially when you get down to the 20%, which where Mackenzie found herself at the end of all this. But if you are above 70 and above, they will utilize CAS because um, basically they try to say that the parent is not working in the best interest of that child. And that's the terminology they use, but that terminology is such a blanket statement because it's in regarding to that care without looking at that child's individual needs. So then, um, I had gotten that, we had that conversation, Mackenzie and I knew what Dr. Gupta had said. So they went and flipped it around. So then they did the assessment of her, which I was, I didn't, I wasn't aware, but Mackenzie did so well. They asked her what mast cell and histamine were. They asked her if she knew what her underlying allergies were. They asked her what she, if she knew about the treatment. They asked her if she knew if she didn't have treatment, what was gonna happen. Um, and here's the thing, they didn't have any data within Canada for what we did. The only data that they had was in Mex no China. So China was the only data that they could provide to us. And in that, these were, um, it was just this very, I can actually provide this to you um, as well, if I can locate the document again. It showed about all these different um, Chinese families and some of them chose not to have treatment. Some of them had it, but the majority of people who didn't want treatment for their children was because the children were actually dying with treatment. And so they wanted to look for other options as well. But within Canada, no one had done outside of, there were two Aboriginal children that tried this, but they don't fall within our, our legislation. They have their own. So I was okay. the first within Sick Kids, from what I gather, to do this and to do it in a way that they couldn't reach us. So they assessed Mackenzie. Honest to goodness, she sounded like an adult. And that's the sad thing about cancer treatment. They grow up really quickly because the kids have to step up and advocate for themselves or they will be just plowed right over. And so that's even cool. though like with her 12, like she would say, mommy, she's like, I'm 12. And I'm like, I know my love, but within the hospital, they view you to have the capacity to make these decisions. So you're going to have to use your voice in some regard, if not, um, it's going to get harder. So she would say how she felt and then I would back it up. So by this time that they assessed her, they didn't even tell me that they'd removed her capacity. So they had the meeting, um, midway through, I was like, are you assessing her? And she's like, well, yes. And I'm like, well, from what I understand, based on legislation within the hospital, you're to be notified if a child is going to be assessed for capacity. And the doctor that you have here isn't a psychologist either. It's just another doctor um, from the team. So, and I have nobody here on my side to actually, because I wasn't told I would have had someone present on my Zoom meeting. Anyway, they ended up deeming her not capable and they transferred everything over to me by that. So Thursday. they did that without telling you only Correct. when you confronted them, they informed you, oh yeah, we're doing it. Correct. 
And okay. um, they didn't tell me though, at the end of that meeting that they deemed her, that they removed her capacity. So then by the Thursday, they had enacted um, CAS. And what is so horrid about the way they did it, because um, is that she lied, Dr. Pendant actually lied and said Mackenzie had to be resuscitated when they brought her into the hospital. That never happened. Not at any time going into the hospital. Now, if during their treatment sessions with the lumbar punctures that happened, I was never notified. But I, but up until the point where she said when we came into the hospital that she had to be resuscitated, um, I responded and I said, you're lying to CAS to get them to come in and make it more dramatic than what this is. Um, when it's really a matter of you and I disagreeing, Mackenzie disagreeing with you and not wanting to continue with treatment, you're trying to then utilize language, use language to get CAS, you know, to be ramped up to say that I'm basically, you know, placing her at added risk and that her situation was way worse than it was. And she contacted the social worker and she said, oh, I just want to let you know, Trina is going to, um, be very like Trina has expressed concern over the use of the word of resuscitation. We use resuscitation in many ways. And I was like, I'm sorry, resuscitation. I worked as a lifeguard. I've, I've done CPR, my air, you know, like I've done all that training. Like, no, 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 not breathing. Resuscitation. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyways. So um, were they trying to basically say, we're resuscitating her by continuing treatment? Is that how they were looking at that definition? Or I don't know. Oh, okay. They she did not uh, she never clarified it for me. And um when the social worker came to the house, um, and I pointed that out, she goes, Yeah, they contacted me on that and they were like, you know, Trina's gonna let you know that she's really concerned, but we use resuscitation the term in many different ways. And I'm like, come on, Melody, you know what resuscitation means. Like it didn't happen. You cannot put something into a, like a legal document or a document that's coming from a hospital and make this claim when that didn't happen. Um, anyways, what, outside of the hospital, this area has, the CIS is wonderful. As long as your house is clean and you're taking care of your children and blah, 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 there's no, there's no issue. And there was no issue. They didn't have an issue at that time with us at all. And they couldn't do anything about it. I was in the process of, um, Mackenzie was well talking, everything fine, eating, walking around fine. During the whole treatment, Mackenzie made all her own meals, did her hair, got up, got dressed, all that type of thing. So they couldn't do anything regarding that. And so she let me know, though, if I couldn't find someone who is an oncologist to take over for her care, there would be trouble. There are no oncologists operating outside of sick kids that would take on a child in Canada anyways, or at least not within Ontario. And if you are not doing, oops, sorry. If you are not doing, um, if you are not doing a, um, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. If you were you just are, saying there's no oncologist outside of sick kids that would treat her. Correct. Right? So like, they don't want to um, take I, on that. Yeah. Yeah. I even contacted um, the naturopathic college who specializes in cancer. And they said, no, nope, we can't do that. Um, I did find one naturopath who would help, but he couldn't provide, um, and he's gone up against the kids before. He was great, but it wasn't necessarily support to address the cancer. 
it was to support and mediate the other issues that had been um, triggered off, like her kidneys were being, uh, were, her left kidney had become weak. Her heart was not um, the best and um, her inability to walk up and down stairs, her inability to open jars, her inability to run, all those things had been affected. And that all so, was triggered by the treatment they gave her. Yes. Um, like she walked like she was 90 and she was 12. Um, and, and she that was not, it, sorry, just to clarify that she was not like that before going in. Correct. Okay. Um, so then when we, um, so when all that took place, I was able to keep her in remission until February 14th. And I still 100% don't even know if it was true what they said. So I was using a private lab out here to have her blood work done. I went to get her results. They told me that I couldn't have them. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm her mother. I don't understand. But it looked like the hospital contacted the Dynalab, the Dynacare out here. And all results were to go through them. And they were to let me know what the results were. So every meeting that I had with the hospital, because I would have Zooms for them to follow up. And I would go in, like, I did the dressing change, right? I did the pick line change. I took all that training. So I could provide Mackenzie the best care possible at home. And then we would go into the local clinic that was here with a group of nurses to be able to um, have it looked at, right, after my training, just so I have an extra set of eyes, because we didn't want to go into sick kids because we knew what would happen, hmm. even though so I was hoping I was So you're doing home care home care at this point. Yeah. Um, we went for a walk two days before Valentine's Day. Her knee swelled up. Now, I had requested they do Lyme testing on Mackenzie in the hospital as well, and they refused because I was trying to rule out everything. And um, anyway, so that um, I told Mackenzie, because I was still talking to other doctors, trying to get another way. Um, Mexico looked like it was a possibility. Still couldn't leave the country because the vaccine status anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so then that Monday, um, she wasn't herself and her knee had swelled from our walk. And I was like, something's not right. So when we went in, they ended up calling me nine o'clock at night, Monday night, and informing me that cancer was showing in her blood. Um, and so uh, during that time, um, RSO was being used as well as a supportive measure, but I had to pull off because between December. And that's just, just so people know that's Rick Simpson oil. That's the cannabis oil that you were using, right? Yeah. Okay. So okay. as a supportive measure and, um, um, which needs to be evaluated to how, um, to support kids within Canada, because that's not even something that they want children having. And it has really, it has a wonderful cure rate, which they don't like that word. Um, yeah, yeah. so between December and then I had gotten a lawyer and I'd gotten a lawyer from Mackenzie. So we were preparing for the form G because the hospital had enacted form G. So think of the military, the hospital has their own private system, um, private court system that you go through first. And then if it goes into the court system after fine, but normally that's taken care of. And what they'd have to do first is this doctor didn't realize she was going to have to prove Mackenzie was incapable which she probably would have won because they just listened to the doctors. They don't listen to anybody else. And then they would come after me because they had given me secondary decision-making and they were going to draw that trial out for five days. Um, so that's about $20,000. Um, 
to handle wow. that within the private system. Just to take away, just to take away your say, basically. Yeah. That they would do this. They wanted to remove my capacity then, so then they would be fully in charge. So my lawyer um, told me that if it got to that stage, she had she felt that we would win. Um, she did let me know that she really thought the chances of Mackenzie were winning were slim, even though her legal representation, like she was great, but it's just the way its system is set up. It's set up that most children don't win. So we were supposed to, so that was the 14th. She was supposed to have her, her case conference on that Wednesday while we were in the hospital. So it had to be put off into March. And so that was really hard on Mackenzie because she wanted her capacity back. So when we went into the hospital, there's such a twisted system. As soon as we go in, the oncology team came to me and first they, you know, Mackenzie felt really bad. She was 12. She didn't want to dis disappoint anybody. So uh, she was concerned that the hospital, that, that the team was mad at her. And um, personally, I didn't care um, what the team thought, but I knew that um, Mackenzie as a 12 year old wanting people to like her, even though she didn't agree with what was happening was a big deal. So I had to try to have a, a meeting regarding that to try to get that to calm down Mackenzie because it was increasing her anxiety and her reactions were getting more worse in the hospital with the things they were giving her. So when he ends up coming in, they were like, oh, so there are macrophages and neutrophils in the um, fluid around her knee, but it doesn't, there's no cancer. I'm like, okay, that's good news. And he's like, yeah, so we think it could be an infection. And if it's an infection, we want her to have surgery where they go in and scrape her knee. I'm like, what? Like, why would you want to put a child who's in Just cancer surgery. treatment back into surgery for a knee over inflammation if you don't even know what it is? So they had the, um, the pediatric uh, joint specialist come up and they did an aspiration. Meanwhile, they had put her on antibiotics. Mackenzie is severely allergic to just about everything and antibiotics was one of the things. So she would have these, she would break out. So she would have these hives, her feet would swell, um, break out on her chest, her face, the blotches that had, had been triggered off with asparaginase got worse. So every time that she had a reaction, that would get, they would flare up and it would look like she had just been slightly punched in the face because um, the bruising, it would look like bruises. And so she was telling the team that she didn't feel good on the antibiotics. And the team said, you have to stay on them until we know that there's no infection for sure. So that was the Tuesday. So they did the bone, they did the, the aspiration of the knee. And the young guy came in and I mean, he was like, he must've been on energy drinks. He was very pumped. And he's like, I just wanna let you know, there's no infection here and it's looking really good and it's really clear and I'm really excited. And I told the team that she doesn't need antibiotics, so they should be able to stop because I told them never to give her any anyways. Meanwhile, they had had her on antibiotics almost going into three days. And then he said that so she didn't So this guy tells it. her, this guy, what was his position, this younger, this guy? So he, he worked with, he was a joint specialist, a pediatric uh, joint specialist on one of the other floors. So he worked with rheumatoid arthritis and all those different types of things. But he was, he was coming in to analyze the fluid and he told them she didn't need antibiotics. They put the, he said, I just want to, I said, you didn't put her on antibiotics. And he goes, no. I said, they've been running antibiotics now for going on three days. He goes, oh, I told them she didn't need it. He goes, that had oh nothing God. to do with me. He said, she shouldn't be on antibiotics. She doesn't need it. 
So she's suffering needlessly, even against the advice of the guy that works within sick kids to do that job, to make that call. They ignored it and continued anyways. And he was mad. He said, I specifically told them that they didn't, she did not need antibiotics. So by then the Thursday, Mackenzie, because of the antibiotics and antibiotics will lower platelets and will lower neutrophils. So if you've already had treatment or you were struggling anyways, because the cancer becomes active, you're just fueling more issues with the blood. And so they were like, she's going to need to have platelets done. But at this time she broke out in this I'm, I'm going to mispronounce probably the name properly. It's Rounds syndrome, which that's what it looked like. Like one of the um, other healthcare professionals that was there, she was a life care specialist. And she's I was like, it looks like you're trading off for an autoimmune response with her. And she said, I agree with you. Let's go get some help. So they brought down a doctor and Dr. Whitlock ended up being brought down. He's the head of oncology. I have reported him and I've reported Dr. Pennant. And he came down and he goes, this was the Thursday and he goes, yep, don't know what that is. Um, so we're going to have to get like, you know, um, dermatologist in to have a look. And I looked at him and I, I was, he goes, because like, this is out of my scope. And I'm like, okay, fine. I said, but does she need to be on antibiotics then? Because they already said, it. and they're like, oh, well, we want to make sure the infection's gone. But he's saying there's no infection present. So that doesn't make sense. So Mackenzie was supposed to go for lumbar puncture that day. The, the night before I had requested, because Mackenzie asked me to, and I agreed with her, to put it off till Friday because she was concerned. She was on antibiotics. She wasn't feeling well. She had already reacted to blood product and she reacted to, um, and she was having a reaction with her hands. She requested to do like to make sure that when there's nothing showing up in the culture if that's what because the culture is usually back 24 to 48 hours by this time though the cultures that they were taken was we were almost four days in and um the doctor that wednesday night said yeah sure we'll do it on friday that thursday when dr whitlock came in he had the chance to look at me and i'll, I'll explain why but he had the chance to say miss thornell can we speak out in the hallway because i have a major concern he had a chance to do that instead he didn't um he just said yep i'll send I'll, we'll get another team to come in i said oh, okay nine o'clock that night so meanwhile when we went in i contacted my lawyer i also asked the team if um, legal action was going to be taken once we stepped back in the hospital and i had the nurse practitioner said what i understood no that wouldn't happen i had dr goop to say from what i understood it wouldn't happen the hospital lawyer contacted mine and Mackenzie's lawyers because they called to see and he said, oh, no, no, no nothing like that's going to happen. Go on in. She is we're acting in the best interest of the child. She's bringing the child in. Don't worry about it. After Dr. Whitlock that Thursday left, he called an emergency meeting within sick kids. They can do an emergency meeting um, to enact CAS. He went and he lied and said that I had refused, that I had refused, um, that I had refused to do treatment, which wasn't true because Mackenzie and I knew we were in a real big pickle and we couldn't do that. Um, and that um, we were questioning things too much and making it challenging for them to do their job. And that they were concerned that I was going to bolt with Mackenzie. I never said any of those things. 
um, it's approved to have that um, lumbar puncture put to the Friday. So then the next thing that happens from there is I get a call nine o'clock at night from the social worker and she's like, you must learn how I suggest. She said, I just want to let you know they've enacted emergency measure against you and CAS has been emergency measure involving CAS. I said, what are you talking about? I said, you need a legal. So one of the things I discussed with my lawyer, she goes, if anything like that were to ever happen, because we discussed it like months before, they give you a five day and then you have a tribunal. Well, he bypassed that by in by calling this meeting. Now, he called every single person that was working with Mackenzie and who had been in our room and all the other teams, nursing teams, allergy, um, hematology, all of those, they were all involved. So I was like blown away. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, I didn't do that. And she goes, listen, I personally feel that this is um, the hospital and patient issue, that this has nothing to do with um, us, but I'm letting you know they're making it to do with us so we can force you to do what they want. And I was like, this is really scary. And she said, I'm so sorry you're in this situation. If you have lawyers, reach out, reach out to whoever you can, because this is really um, concerning. And um, tomorrow they're gonna call you again. So this will be a different worker. And she said, I'm so sorry you're going through this. So I tried to call my lawyer. I called the patient's advocates at the hospital who worked for the hospital. So by Thursday at 11 o'clock, I get a call from the, the next day. Um, and Mackenzie was like, mommy, I don't want to lose you. And I'm like, I don't want to lose you either. So we're going to try to work this out where CAS doesn't come in. So 11 o'clock, I get a call. They had forwarded Mackenzie's medical file to CAS. CAS doctor reviewed it. And they told me that should I not comply, they would remove me from her care. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this was enacted in what way? We already have a form G going on. Like, under what premise? And she goes, well, they said that you were not going to do treatment. And I'm like, that wasn't the case at all. And I explained everything just like I did to you. And she goes, it doesn't really matter. I said, so who do I report for falsely reporting things? I said, can you please clear that with me? Who do I report? Because he lied. And I said, I will find out every single doctor that did this and I will be reporting them. And she was caught off guard. And she goes, oh, well, all I know is that, you know, the doctor has been consulted here and that should you do anything between now and family day, um, you'll be removed from her care. So I've since gotten the documents. The documents stated in there, should Mackenzie and I have tried to leave the hospital, we were to be forced back into our rooms and held there until Tuesday. And then CAS would have come in and taken over. So they held us all the way another week anyways within the hospital and wouldn't let us leave. And tell me, so McKenzie, you were, you were, sorry, so you were basically imprisoned in the hospital ward, yes, you and we were, your daughter. Yes. For a week. Yep. So that day that I got that call, they gave Mackenzie vitamin K, which has polysorbate 80 in it. She was already allergic to it. So she had another allergic reaction. So they had to put off doing the lumbar puncture until the next day. So then I get CIS call me back on that day, which was the 18th of February, if I remember correctly. And they're like, oh, just want to let you know, your, the hospital has let us know you're a really good mother. But if you don't do what they say, we're coming in to um, assume care over your child. 
And she said, we know that you didn't stop today's um, lumbar puncture, that it was because of her reaction. Just to let you know, it has to go ahead tomorrow. And, and at any time, do you get a defense to say, I'm watching the treatment that these people are using and it's her, it's, it's harming her and she's reacting to everything they're doing. And I, I said, I'm right. Like yeah. it's to me, this is so obvious that she's reacting to the treatment you're giving in a negative way. I and said to them that yeah, you're killing her. I said, you are treating a child who has an atypical body with a typical cancer care. And I said, you're not even considering how that body is taking this treatment. She's reacting to every single step and you guys are over and above damaging her now i had met with the bioethics committee within the hospital as well in december pleading our case and my pleading my case before the hospital was if the care that you're providing places my child at a risk above and beyond the diagnosis what do you do i'm like yeah that's where i was i'm like so this standard of care is damaging her above and beyond where her atypical body can't handle it and he was incredibly torn um he like but he got very defensive because he picked up for all the doctors i said why do you guys have a bioethics committee that's associated within the hospital which is not impartial and i can't yeah, go isn't anywhere that a else. bias yeah. yeah, I said, why can't I go anywhere else to have this done and have it brought in anyways? And he emailed me actually, because I knew he was concer concerned. He goes, please make sure you have everything documented in an email to um, the doctors. So it's on record. So he Which, he was starting to be on your side, like lean towards yeah, so he saw he, what you were saying. Yeah, he gave me a little bit of an insight to have should we go towards the way we were leaning. So, um, which was very thoughtful. So then the, um, that Friday when Mackenzie had the reaction, the social worker had come into the hospital as well and, um, met with the team. The team told her that Mackenzie still had an 80% chance of success. And that I was making things challenging and that the best interest of the child was the treatment. So even though Mackenzie had all these reactions, I reported them to her. Like I sent her emails. I, I forwarded all, they know she did nothing for us. Um, she said that it was in the best interest to listen to the hospital. I said, you're failing this kid. Like, who do you work for? So if the hospital enacts it, can I go then and report the hospital to CAS? And would then you guys investigate the hospital? And she just looked at me. So the Saturday they forced her due to lumbar puncture again. When she came out, she was screaming in pain. She had pain radiating down her left leg. And I told the nurse and the nurse was, she was like, she said, I used to be in oncology. I can't do it anymore. Once I had children, I left and I, um, I'm now down here. I can't do this. And I reported it to the anesthesiologist and she just looked at me like the look of my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. So we go back upstairs and they held us there. So that was a, so that was the 17th, 18th. They held us there until the following week. Um, and then they did one more lumbar puncture. And then we were able to go home and I was working on supporting Mackenzie. 
um, because before we had gone back in, Mackenzie could use her hands better. Um, her walking was better. Um, this was and, under your care at home after you after that first round. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so then, uh, <laughs> so then, sick kids is really devious. <laughs> they knew that they had to keep us in inpatient care in order to be able to call CAS at their whim. If you're in outpatient care, they can't do that, right? You come in, you do treatment, you leave, unless you're put in inpatient. They had us come in because they were forcing her to take the Irwinia treatment again. The treatment that she reacted to in November. This time, though, they made sure that they forced antihistamines on her, three different kinds, to force the treatment. So this is where it gets really fun. And so sorry to interrupt you, just so I know. So the antihistamine, is that one of the things that they do again to help bypass the immune response? Do you know yeah. why they use that? Oh, They use that so they can force treatment and the child will get through treatment and the child won't know that they're having a reaction. Um, yeah. And because they consider that standard of care and that's the safest thing to do for cancer treatment. So what Mackenzie and I didn't want the antibiotic, uh, the antihistamines because she is sensitive to everything. And I was asking if you make to make sure they were pegulated or, and they didn't have polyserrhidity. They said they found three that weren't. Two of them actually still had peg in it. So we get there on the Monday and she's like, mommy, okay, I'm really nervous. And I said, we can do this, Mackenzie. Um, she said, if I lose you, I won't get through this. And I said, you have to take a stand still for yourself too. Because if you can't do this, then we're just gonna have to face what's ever coming our way anyway. I said, because this is your body. And that's the big thing. I teach, taught my kids body autonomy and the and it's so important. If you're having anaphylaxis, like that's an immune response. You know, you don't eat that food again and or whatever it is, right? Um, and how important it is to know your body. Mackenzie could tell you everything that was going on in her body. And um, so, at this time, at this stage, we went in. I had no idea they were going to do what they did. They dragged this treatment out for seven hours. It was the standard two-hour treatment. So she would, she took the antihistamines and she passed out. She's like, I don't feel well. And I said, you guys, Dr. Hart, we can't do this. And Dr. Hart said, um, you, you know, how did he word it? Basically you know what's at risk here you said that you would do anything to help your daughter when you first came in here i said when i first came in in november i said yeah i said whatever was needed to help her without knowing it was a cancer treatment and not knowing i didn't have any say in her care but like right. that's like common of course you're gonna i want to help my daughter if there's an issue that can be fixed here let's do it but, but and that's not what you're doing you're sitting there watching your daughter go through all of these reactions and suffer greatly at the expense of the treatments that these guys thought, you know, where they're going to give her and you're advocating for her best interest as the mother. What other, what other is the guy thinking that you're somehow doing this willfully? Like you're doing this to help your daughter. That's the whole reason. That's just blows my mind. They even said that to you. So then she, um, they had a plan to have someone come in to distract her during the treatment. And 
um, she would begin to pass out or not feel well and um, felt off and her head was heavy and they would um, stop it and say, you can push through. Here is where I really, I was so mad. He comes in and she looks at him and she said, I can't do this anymore. And he goes, why? And she goes, cause I'm reacting. And he goes, oh really? He goes, because your body's not showing any of the natural reactions that you had before with anaphylaxis. And I looked at him and I said, are you freaking kidding me? You got her to take the antihistamines, so when she did react and it was presenting differently, you could ignore it. And he just looked at and me. And now you're telling her, she, oh, you're not reacting. And, and she's she passing at, out. Yeah, she looks at me and she goes, mommy, she goes, when were they going to listen to me? And I said, Mackenzie, I'm trying. I don't know. I'm trying. And meanwhile, I had called my lawyer. I had called her lawyer and I let them know what was going on. And they were talking to the hospital lawyer behind the scenes. And I had also spoken with the staff regarding the false allegations regarding me. And I went to every single person who came in, like working with Mackenzie, because I told them as soon as I find out and get the documentation, I was reporting them to their colleges because they falsified information to enact CAS, which, you know. And so with Mackenzie that day, we finished. She started treatment at 10 o'clock in the morning. We finished. By the time they dragged it out, it was 5 o'clock. Then they come and tell me that because they had, because her platelets were low on the Friday and I was concerned for platelets or sorry, her neutrophils, for neutrophils for an adult, it takes about two weeks to get them up. So a lot of cancer treatments that are kind, sometimes they will actually allow the patient to do the two weeks to get them up naturally, but they don't do that to the kids. So in between all this, she was getting platelets and she was getting a blood product, which we were both concerned quite likely we're from donors who are in the middle of having the vaccines that aren't even tested. And we didn't know how that was going to affect her either. And um, I should just pause you here just to clarify. She, she did not receive that COVID vaccine no. at this point. And you had mentioned also that she had reacted to childhood vaccines. Did you yeah, Mackenzie's like were Yeah. Mackenzie's were so bad. Um, she stopped breathing. And um, she would every night for a year stop breathing at night. I slept on her floor. I went to specialists and couldn't get any help. That is an adverse reaction of the vaccines. I've learned that since. Um, and thankfully, I would wake her up every single night. That went on for a year. Um, she had um, sleep apnea that we were able to support and um, reverse um, through diet and everything. So she ended up on a CPAP when she was young. She would projectile vomit um, after the vaccines. She would collapse after the vaccines. Um, she had seizures. And then her bowel movements were liquid up until the age of five. And that's when I was going back to school because my marriage was um, falling apart as well. Or that's a whole other story. But um, And um, I went to a, a pediatrician and I had removed food proteins for three months and then they want you to put them on back on three months anyways. And when she was off these particular food proteins, which are in the vaccines we give our kids, primarily dairy, gluten, egg, um, and sugar, sucrose, um, I was able to get her bowels to be solid and normal and for her to gain weight properly because she wasn't gaining weight. And they were trying to pass off um, childhood diarrhea as normal. Like, you know, when your five-year-old can't be potty trained because she, her, her stool and her um, pee are both liquid. There's a problem. 
Mm. So um, had her all stable in that though. She was doing really well, moved to food proteins. Um, she was assessed by an allergist. She had mast cell activation. Um, and yeah, so we end up back here. Now, if I had known at the time that she had polysorbidadian peg allergies at a kit as a child, you know, that would have helped for, excuse me, what the treatment they were giving her, because I maybe could have prevented a bit more. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, they ended up giving her blood product. Um, she started passing clots the size of my thumb. And, and so, yeah, so just we're zooming back. So this is back yeah. to the current story here. So yeah. she's uh, received the the lumbar puncture, the whole thing. And now they're continuing. This is the continuing treatment that they're doing here. Yeah. And so um, they ended up letting me know that she had to have a blood product. So we stayed and I, I talked to Mackenzie because I was upset with the doctor. I said, why didn't you prepare us that before? But see, they wanted us to be an inpatient. They wanted us to continue staying. And um, I said, listen, you can do the, the blood product at we're leaving. Like we're leaving the hospital tonight. And I drove home at midnight. Um, Mackenzie's like, please don't make me stay here. And I said, I'm not. So we had to come back the next morning for another treatment because they were going to force the Arwinia again. They did the, um, again, they gave her the antihistamines and Mackenzie passed out for an hour and a half this time um, from the antihistamine. And I didn't know if she was going to wake up again. I wasn't sure. We had a child life specialist come in and she was amazing because she went to bat for Mackenzie. So I will say one thing, the child life specialist at SickKids will advocate on your behalf. They're just not taken seriously, even though they have as much education um, as a lot of the doctors, right? And their specialty is advocating for kids, doesn't matter the age, to help them, even if it's something that they don't think is in benefit of them. So it can work counter to a parent, but still at this, in this case, she had gone and placed into the file that Mackenzie's maturity level in her assessment was 16 years old and that forcing a child who is letting you know that she's having um, issues and reacting to every single thing is against her rights. So I knew that day we were in big trouble if she had another reaction because they were already pushing um, CIS again. Like, that's why we're in inpatients, right? I told the life care specialist, I said, they're keeping us here on purpose. We're in outpatients. We should be in outpatients, but they can legally force treatment and everything on us under CAS having major power. So this particular day when she passed out, she looked at me and she said, mommy, she said, I can't do this anymore. I said, okay. And I said, if you can't do this anymore, I stand with you. And I was, don't get me wrong. I was scared too, because the CIS coming in, um, the child, the parents who had the 11 year old boy, I think it was in Hamilton, because there's very little case um, cases that are written about in Canada. Like they removed that child. CIS totally stepped in. By the way, they lied to me and told me that they would never not have me present. I would still be there, but they would be doing everything. That's not true. They would literally take that child into the care of CIS. And CIS was calling the shots for that child. And until the parents agreed to do chemotherapy, he was forced to do that treatment with the CAS representative who that was. And then they gave him back because the parents relent, like agreed to continue with treatment. So I knew there were things in the back of my head and I was like, okay, fine. Um, this child life specialist 
was lovely. She, um, she said, I'll protect Mackenzie with my life. And she was genuinely disgusted what was going on, but she didn't have the power to do anything. So the doctor comes in, Dr. Alexander, who she'll be receiving a nice letter from the college soon. She came in and she, um, she goes, Oh, so Mackenzie, even though you passed out, um, I think you can still do this. So, um, what do you say? And at that time, Mackenzie goes, well, I want to rest a little bit more and um, I don't want to do it, but um, you can ask me again. So I looked at her and she looked at me and she goes, oh, do you have a concern? And I said, oh, yeah, like, I don't agree with this at all. She goes, oh, really? Well, you know, you know, what's at stake? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, so this is red light, green light or um, yellow light. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, this is like totally red light if you're going to be using a child's analogy to concern. And I said, I don't agree with it. And she goes, well, you know, you know what, um, what you can and cannot agree with here anyways, right? And she left. So Mackenzie was, um, she said, I can't do this anymore. And I said, fine. Um, and there was one nurse who they raked over the coals in the hospital because she was trying to fight for Mackenzie. Um in a way. So she would push back just enough, even though her, her notes is what helped Dr. Whitlock and at that CAS. So I had a little bit of a kind spot for her, but at the same time, I didn't trust her. She came in and she said, listen, we can't do this to you anymore. And she said, what? And she goes, we can't force this on you anymore. And Mackenzie goes, so when, so Mackenzie was also very smart. And she's like, well, when do we come back for the next treatment? And she goes, you won't, she said, because we are forcing you through allergic reactions and that's not humane. So that was the only time <laughs> that someone actually After was kind that, enough. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. we go home. Um, the damage was um, kind of done or starting with her. We come back from March 4th and we find out that Mackenzie was in, um, the cancer was not active again. Keep in mind, she's never done full treatment and the cancer is not active. That doesn't even make sense. And that's the second time they determined it. Second time. So, and it was this really sweet older doctor. She was like, oh, you know, sometimes this happens. The child goes into this state where the cancer is not active. And I was looking at Mackenzie and I was like, yes, right? Great. This is wonderful. So her, um, her platelets were low, so they had to give her platelets. So typically after platelets, they would give her saline. And um, we were so excited this day that she didn't. And I so wish I could go back to March and change everything, but I can't. So that Sunday morning, she woke up and her tongue was swollen. So she had an allergic reaction to the platelets right across her jaw, like her bottom, the, the jawline. And she had this lesion. And the first thing when I looked at that lesion, honestly, was AIDS. I'll level with you. Um, I was incredibly concerned for what it was. It was quite, yeah, and it was, it was nasty. And she was drooling and she said, mommy, I don't know what to do. None of the natural stuff was working the same way anymore. And not that I was, I made very like with guidance, what to use and not to use. Right. But like Mackenzie never had fevers, even when she had vaccines when, as a kid, her temperature would dip under. So I never really had to like, which is not good either. Cause that's septus, but I never had 
I didn't have a um, understanding of fevers with her because it's not something that she's ever really had. And if anything, she had ear issues on and off, but nothing else. Well, by the time we got up, her jawline here, just in this particular area was on fire. Um, and she had a low grade fever. So I called the hospital, I told them, and I told Mackenzie, she didn't wanna go in, but like we had to go in because right now at the place that we were, we were getting ramping up to the form G. So we were still gonna do that and still go for her capacity. And through the capacity, once I got my, um, once it was up to me, I was just gonna like figure out another plan for her then, right? So I called the hospital, they told me not to come in. So I knew I was being set up to look like I wasn't caring for my child. And then I'd be considered negligent. So. I bring her in. By the time we get in, her fever was like 39. So it was quite high. And they began antibiotics. And so my understanding with antibiotics at that time was like that they would stop after a particular time, right? Because with the last set, I was like, she doesn't have a fever. Her cultures come back normal. Stop. And they're like, yep, they stopped. This time it was different again. And I still don't understand why. I don't. Um, we go in. Uh, they start the antibiotics within 24 hours. She was fine. Perfect. Um, I mean, perfect walking around with me. Fine. My sister used to come in every second day, uh, really great resort, like really helpful. And, um, the Tuesday, like we were down, we saw Dr. Gupta in the hallway. Everything was great. He's like, Oh, it looks like you guys get to go home tomorrow. Wonderful. We get upstairs, he comes back and visit us on Wednesday and he goes, oh, well, the team's a little bit concerned because her neutrophils are low, so you probably get to go home by Thursday. By Wednesday, Mackenzie had told them that she was in pain. Well, actually it was Tuesday night. Tuesday night, she said she was feeling a bit of pain when she when they would give her gentamicin. So they were running gentamicin, um, Cypro, which falls under floxing. It's one of the, the ones that you don't give with prednisone and one other. I'm blanking at the other right now because it, it was these two that caused trouble. So by the Wednesday, I'd already, she had asked on the Tuesday to get off. I was informed they planned to keep her on antibiotics from the 7th of March until the 22nd because her oh neutrophils were low. I'm like, she won't make it. And yeah, like, like, don't you guys have the folder that says she already reacted multiple yeah. times to this stuff? I'm like, she's not going to make it. And so I was trying to figure out a way to get out of there so then I could look at other options. So they were going to send me home with, and Mackenzie couldn't do pill form because all pills have PEG or polysorbid 80, right? That's just the way they are. So they needed to do liquid. But I said, she doesn't have a fever anymore. Well, her neutrophils are low. Yeah, she had treatment on Friday. Her neutrophils would be low. Anyway, and gentamicin lists, lists on it. It'll lower neutrophils. So what are you guys doing? So her white blood cell count was 2.01 when we went in the Wednesday, they stopped that one, but she said, Oh, I'm keeping her on Cypro. I'm like, I need to talk to Dr. Gupta, like someone like, because he's the head of this team for her because you're going to kill her. And they were like, well, we have to, unless her neutrophils rise. So in the background, they were sending supplies home to our house for me to have her set up and do care and all that. And I was trying to figure out how to navigate all this by the Thursday, her white blood cell count was 19.38. The only difference was the fact that she was still on antibiotics and she was screaming in pain and she couldn't move. 
So she went from walking, doing her own hair, cross legs, sitting up, phone running with her sister, being all silly on, uh, you know, the Zoom session with her sister um, to not being able to move. And I had to get a, um, a commode for her to use the bathroom. And she was in excruciating pain. And I got them to finally agree to stop by the Friday. She was in so much pain. Um, I said to them, have you ever heard Mackenzie scream like this outside of a reaction? And they're like, no. And um, they forced treatment on her anyways on that Friday again. Treatment um, meaning more of that drug? The so this time they did um, don't, uh, they did lumbar puncture. And then they did Donna Rubikin and Vindy Kristen. And her blood pressure skyrocketed too. And was resting between 148 and 160. Oh my God. After, after that treatment, quote unquote. Yeah. And, um, so they sent in a, um, physiotherapist because if she wasn't moving her legs, she wasn't going to be able to move. I said, are you guys ignoring the fact that she's had reactions? And I said, you gave her Cypro. That's not allowed to be given with, uh, prednisone or prednisolone without causing floxing. So floxing is toxicity throughout the entire body. And a lot of adults have had it where they end up you have to, there's a, like a big protocol that you do, but I couldn't do that with cancer treatment for her. So a friend of mine was reaching out to a doctor in the States and he was going to send me up a protocol. In the meantime, they were holding us again. They wouldn't let us leave. So it's the second time you were held hostage basically. Yeah. So I'm like, I was asking the doctors, can you come in and see her walk, please? Oh, we don't need to see her walk. Why don't we just give her morphine? So then that day they gave her morphine. It didn't help with the pain at all because it was in her deep tissues and it wasn't, it just, it didn't cut it. I'm like, that's not going to help her. And I'm like, why isn't anybody taking the time to listen? And by that time, I'm guessing they thought I was too much of a pain in the butt in regard to advocating for her so much that um, they were all concerned, right? Because Dr. Gupta couldn't come in anymore and speak with us without having another person present because they were concerned regarding legal action. So that Sunday, one of the doctors came in and I said, have you recorded Mackenzie had an allergic reaction to this antibiotics? And she goes, everybody knows, but it hasn't been put in her chart. I said, why? We were told not to. I said, told so not to put it in the chart. I said, you're supposed to report this to Health Canada. And I found out Monday why, which I'll explain in a minute. But if you don't, I am. So it's going to be on record. And you have, you know, risked her. I need to get her home where I can help her. And at this time, two things. So on the Saturday, Mackenzie said, Mommy, are we Job from the Bible? Oh, and I was sitting there and I was doing my work. Cause I was trying to work at the same time and keep yeah. things going. And, um, when she said that I had been thinking that at the same time, to be honest. And, um, I said, Mackenzie, I said, what do you mean by that? She goes, well, she goes, mommy, if we're Job, who has to die? And I said, Mackenzie, I'll do everything in my power for that not to happen, but you have to hold on. We can make it through. Mm. And then by the Sunday, the reactions were still so bad for her that she said, mommy, I need to go back out on the earth and lie down. 
on the grass and go back to God. She said, I don't think I can do this. And I said, Mackenzie, I'm going to get you home and we're going to figure this out. I said, I just have to get them to let us out. Um, and then I'm going to do everything I can, you know, that Monday, Dr. Gupta came in and I asked my sister to be present and, um, she actually taped the conversation, which I didn't know at that time. And Dr. Gupta came in and he goes, so I hear you think this has to do with the antibiotics. And I said, uh, I said, yes. And he goes, well, I don't, I think it has to do with the cancer. I said, if the cancer or anything's changed, those antibiotics created some shift within her body. I said, and the, on the board, they had written down, uh, the, one of the nurses was actually really cool. She would come in and write down the data because they weren't allowing me to see her blood results anymore. So she would write it down for me. And um, I said, just look at the board. We came in here, it was 2.01, went up to 19.34 or 38, sorry, on that Thursday. And I said, and now by the Sunday, it was starting to come down because she had not been on any of my notes. So I said, let me get this straight. Causation and correlation don't work here, but you'll go into McKenzie, take a bone opsy and look at it under a, a microscope. And that's when you can tell me she has cancer. I was like, are you insane? And I'm like, did you record any of this? Did you report it? He goes, we give Cypro to all of our pediatric kids with prednisone without any issue. And how would they know? Ah. How would they know? That's yeah. right. Not only that though, I said, ah, I said, so you have been doing this to kids. For your whole medical career as in oncology so it's okay he goes listen you know what you think that your daughter's unique yep she has a unique body she has um a normal cancer like it shouldn't be causing that much issue and i'm like i'm leaving so you're letting us out i'm just letting you know we're leaving because you're not helping he goes you're right i'm not going to help you with the flossing i won't be helping you with that at all so we were going to hold you here um, you know, as part of standard of care till the 22nd of March, but we're going to let you out. If you want to take that, I said, no, I'm leaving. So me taking anything? No, 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 this isn't happening. She's not walking. You're not helping her. You're just keeping us here. We're leaving. So they, we went home. Mackenzie was walking with a walker. She would pass out at that time. Like her blood pressure would drop at that time. I didn't realize how bad her heart was because I didn't have the uh, the meter on her finger home. I just I I don't even know. I do have one, but I wasn't even thinking, and you couldn't tell. Like it, it, it presented almost like because one of the doctors said that she had an electrolyte imbalance, and I'm like, so I was supporting her with that. A Friday we went in. Mackenzie couldn't walk at all, and she was really not herself. Um, it was the 18th of March. And um, we went in and she said, I don't feel safe doing this. And she goes, well, I understand, but do you ever feel safe doing this? And everybody has concerns over cancer treatment. And I'm like, I don't feel safe for doing this either. And she goes, well, you know, you know what you have to do. And I said, Mackenzie, I'm so sorry. Like if I can figure out a way, you know, like, because they're basically putting a gun to your head, right? They're saying, you know what you have to do, meaning if you don't do it, we're going to take control of the kid with CAS. Yeah. Is that so basically? She, yeah. So she didn't talk to anybody this day, which was so weird for her. Mackenzie was like one of the 
cool, like really sweet, you know, helpful to other kids that were in there, yeah. talk to everybody, doing crafts, wanting to meet people, really insightful. She just was so quiet. So we go in to the Cujo's room, that's what they call it, and they named it after a hockey player, but I all I could think about is the horror movie. And um, we go in, and she's holding my hand. She said, please don't leave. I said, nope, I'm here. I said, that's okay, you're going to be fine. We've done this before. You're going to be fine. I go out and I sit across from this, the lumbar, I sit across from Cujo's room and not the first time. There were other families waiting for their turn, you know, because um, like this, they line everybody up like cattle. And um, and I was talking to my friend Elizabeth and I saw Dr. Alexander go in and I'm like, oh no. She's like, what? I said, something's wrong. She goes, don't say that thing positive. I said, don't try to think positive. You can't think your way out of this. You can wish your way out of this. Something's wrong. It's usually a 20, 20 minute procedure. And um, this was 40 minutes. So then the doctor comes out and she comes over and she goes, um, Trina, so um, she said, um, so Mackenzie spiked a fever. And I'm like, you didn't do treatment, right? She goes, um, what? I'm like, it's against the standard to do treatment on a child with a fever. Um, well, um, so we think that she has COVID. I'm like, you're kidding, right? She did a spit test the day before and she didn't have COVID. Um, you're full of it. That's not, no. And she goes, so we need to do a nasal swab. I said, don't touch her. She will do a spit test when she's awake and she said oh well I said why are you in there what happened and she goes oh I always go in on Fridays to make sure the samples are okay I'm like if there's an issue maybe I said this has never happened in any time that she's ever had treatment what's going on and she goes um uh just to let you know um uh and then she left like that was like that and I'm walking watching her walk off and I'm like, what's going on? And the door opens and two of the nurses were teary-eyed and crying. One doctor looked at me with, I'm so sorry. Um, and they wheeled her past me. And what's really hard is when she died, she looked the same way she did when they wheeled her out of that room. So when they wheeled her out of the room, they isolated us in our mystery room, you know, right? And when I go in, the anesthesiologist goes, okay, so I just want to let you know, she spiked a fever. I said, you stopped before treatment, right? And they were like, well, no, we consulted with the team. And I'm like, I was sitting out there. The team doesn't own that child. She's my responsibility. She's my child. Why didn't you come out? I was right across this, you know, and let me know. Well, the team said it was okay. And I said, get out. And so then I called my lawyer, her lawyer, I called administration. I said, you better get me, you better, the patient's advocate. I said, I need to speak with administration now. They have just damaged my child. They put my child under with a fever. She already has cancer. Like, you know, like you don't do that. Like that's, that's against your own standard of care. Like, you know, you place at more risk. And anyway, so then 
Dr. Gupta comes in with um, one of his other colleagues and he said, well, I've got some news and I've always leveled with you. I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, I just wanna let you know that her cancer has increased, which that doesn't even make sense either because it wasn't like, I'll get to that part in a minute, but it, that doesn't make sense. And he said, so she now has a 20% chance to live. And oh, and this is very interesting. It's never happened before. She no longer has acute lymphoblastic leukemia. She has acute myeloid leukemia. So it's a different cancer now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, isn't that amazing? Was that a misdiagnosis? And I said, that's a completely different treatment. Uh, it's completely, by the way, that's a completely different treatment altogether. Like you can't, if you mess up treating someone with the wrong cancer, it's just completely different. And he, he's like, um, so the chances of Mackenzie surviving the treatment are slim. She we would have to push through all of her allergic reactions and then the chances and she'll be here for months. Like if she ever gets out of here, and they, they said, we think it's in the best interest with whatever you decide. CAS will no longer be involved and we can no longer force treatment on your child. But what was Almost like he's admitting, almost like he's admitting, right? Like he misdiagnosed her and was treating her wrongly this entire time. And see, it wasn't him that just diagnosed her either. Dr. Whitlock was the one that diagnosed her. Okay. Right? So he ended up, so Dr. Whitlock made the diagnosis. Um, I took responsibility for the initial diagnosis. Dr. Gupta was actually, he, he is, um, her, who was her primary physician. So, um, I don't even think honestly that he was part of the initial decision at all with what, what form of cancer she had. Um, and I still have to get the files on that part to see, but from what I can read back, it was Dr. Whitlock who made that diagnosis, if that was the truth anyway. Mm. But then what was interesting is they offered us blood transfusions and platelets, even though she was in palliative care. That doesn't make sense at all. I don't know of anybody who gets put into palliative care who gets offered anything like that. They send you home to die. So we went in for one um, because at that time, I didn't realize Mackenzie's heart rate was still staying at 140 to 168 until they put the, um, the monitor on her that I had at home. They didn't offer that to me. I had my own. And um, then I was frantically trying to get a naturopath to work with us, which I, I did get one, but I'm not sharing the person's name because I want them to be able to still help people. And then the other one that I was working with, Dr. Saunders, was great because he had tried, made some suggestions and he's been around for a very long time. So he nothing rocks his world when it comes to a hospital. So he was trying to help out. And then I was reaching out to all my other um, natural-minded supports because she was reacting to everything else. And um, we went in for the blood product and they ended up giving her B. In the hospital, when you go in, even though they're like, we need O, we need A, right? It's super important. When you're in there, if you are A, positive or negative, they will give you AB, A positive, A negative, and B blood. Even though they don't consider the antigens make a huge difference, they do, especially for Mackenzie. And they gave her B antigen blood. She reacted to it, and I thought I lost her right there on the table. Oh, my God. She kind of came back, and she was like, 
Mami. You've done everything you can. I'm so sorry that we didn't win. Don't hold yourself responsible for anything. You fought. You've tried everything for me. And I, I was like, you don't need to be encouraging Mackenzie. It's, it's my job to encourage you. You're going to be fine. Mm. We'll get through this. You're going to be fine. And then um, she couldn't walk anymore. And so they got a special team to bring her home. It's one of the teams at Sick Kids that, because we couldn't get anybody to bring us home. And she wasn't strong enough to get into the wheelchair, even though she came up in the wheelchair. And I went out into the hall and I said, Dr. Gupta, I said, she only has a few days, doesn't she? And he said, if she makes it till Monday, he goes, but I can tell you, I've never seen a child look as good as her. She didn't look like she was sick at all, like at all. And he said, I've never seen anybody. He said, I was expecting her to look far worse when she came in. He didn't know what I was doing to support her at home, um, right? Or all of the things that were being used to help her to keep her well and the diet part they don't even care about diet in the hospital you can eat whatever you want yeah, that's what's insane eh? yeah. and um so they got the special team to come get her and they carried her into the house because she couldn't walk and the wheelchair or the um, stretcher couldn't get in and i couldn't get her heart rate under i got it down to 134 and i was so proud and um she stopped eating and I was like, oh crap, I'm not going to be able to pull her back this time. And um, then it, she went from not eating to just drinking. And then on a Sunday, she's like, hey, mommy, can you take me for a drive? And I was like, I don't think my head had wrapped around what was going to happen really. And I was like, my love, when you're a little bit better, I will. I will, because that was our, one of our favorite things. We'd go talk, you know, go for a drive and talk. Her sister sat with her and was feeding her water and giving her sips of water because when your heart is working so hard, you become dehydrated and so thirsty. And we had a palliative care nurse in here and um, I wanted to do the majority of everything because she's my daughter. Absolutely. And, um, so the Monday, she slipped into like a coma, for lack of a better word. And it happened so quick because I was talking to her on the Sunday. And then by the Monday, I couldn't. And I knew it was a matter of time. And um, she passed away by six o'clock that day. I was holding her. She was in immense pain. My mom and dad were there. My sister, her husband, and um, my nephew, but he wasn't in the room. And Ashlyn stayed there. And I, she said she wanted to be there for me. And I held her. And what was so hard is that when she passed away, she literally looked the same way, like after the pain and everything was gone and her body relaxed, that she looked every time she came out of the lumbar puncture. 
God. And I had a really hard time realizing she was gone. I'm so sorry, Trina. <laughs> the saddest thing about this is I had kept her, or I was able to get both of them outside of the system for such a long time. I still haven't figured out why we ended back there and I couldn't get the help that was needed for her. But parents need to know they don't have any rights. Like, yes, we have rights because they're our kids, but according to the way the system is set up, we don't. And the hospital illegally removed, like didn't honor the Healthcare Consent Act, all right? Uh, the Bill of Rights, they didn't honor. And um, when you arbitrarily can make those decisions um, and then use CIS as the strong arm, like some, that has to change. Now, I don't know if that's going to change with the way the world is going or anything, but parents need to start taking their children to other reputable people that won't do that. And then on top of that, I got a call from the College of Physicians this week because I have placed a complaint against two of the doctors. So she contacted me, Mackenzie gave permission to use her file, right, to access it. In this call, I learned that the, the college and physicians who are who the doctors answer to, they're concerned that the doctors are gonna get legal actions to block those files now, so they can't be investigated. Because on Mackenzie's file, when they closed her file, they closed it saying a complicated case. And I had a fellow doctor inform me that is code for they screwed up and they're covering it up. Wow. Oh, my God. So there's there's no recourse. And the mm -hmm. legal challenge you would have to give, you're taking on the whole system uh, by yourself, yeah. basically, to get any kind of legal justice and here. So when... So I had one lawyer told me she needed an autopsy. Well, she's already buried. So I don't know if I have that in me to do that. Then I had another lawyer tell me that they would look at my case for malpractice after um, the investigation is concluded between those two doctors. He would evaluate then the um, file and then go from there. But he said, and it's not the money thing for me anyways, it's justice. Like you'll never, there's no money you can put on like anyway. Like, I was like, it's not the money. Um, and he goes, well, the chances of winning are slim. But if you do win, the financial gain is, I said, I didn't care. And then he's like, but they don't get held responsible. They don't typically lose their license. So I have requested the college to um, remove licenses if possible. But the chances of that happening, because they usually drag it out a year or slim to none anyway. And if they can mess with the College of Physicians and deny files, even though Mackenzie verbally told both, and that's what bothers me too, the two initial investigators were given that permission. They didn't go and access her file or download it. Now this new, because I guess it's gone up to the chain, right? Because they're really going to look into it now because I told them that we were medically kidnapped and CIS was used as the strong arm and they abused the system and they removed her voice just because she was challenging. Um, and so was I, the, her diagnosis and the treatment. Now they're going to look into it. So now I have to get um, 
legal representation, a letter to go in, and they still might not um, give access. I do have some of the files that I'm going to provide to them, but it might not be enough for them to see the full picture. Um, but that's the system that we're living in. And I, it's been going on for at least 40 years. Um, I have other parents who have reached out to me and said, this happened to my sibling, this happened to me, this happened to my grandchild, um, but no one's talked about it. Now, why in all of this time, why aren't people, like, if people had spoken up more, maybe it would make a difference, or maybe they were too afraid, I don't know, but when you lose your, your child, you don't really have, um, it's time. I was very vocal about vaccine. This all happened in warning families. I was part of the vaccine tour in Canada and trying to educate people way before the COVID thing happened. You know, because if you can rescue one family, then that's awesome. If one mom or dad was like, yes, okay, not going to do this, or yes, this resonates with me, then great. But then you get trapped where even like right now i'm going to be going to courts um because the, their dad wants to them force vaccinated so i have one more legal battle and i was served in february with that and even with mckenzie's yes. diagnosis that would be um that's my next challenge so this is for your other child mm -hmm. their and, your, oh, wow. yeah and even if covid even if the COVID vaccine is removed, right? They will still, unless you do a constitutional challenge, look to force the school vaccines, even though the kids have reacted. I might have a chance because the children have reacted, right? And that's documented in the ingredients that they're allergic to. But um, at this time, to think about risking another child that um yeah, of course. and it could be another sad day for me with whatever could happen with that so i don't know mackenzie was probably right in one way that maybe we are job and this is our time to have to make some really hard decisions to see how to safeguard our kids but parents need to start i'm just an example there are many other families that have gone through this but parents need to wake up because there's no more time for them to be asleep and i wasn't asleep <laughs> and this happened right. you were fighting every step of the way mm -hmm. well trina i just want to just compliment you on your ability to recount everything and explain it eloquently and um, I can, I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine, I'm a father myself. Um, and I've spoken to far too many people that have been in similar positions as yourself. And I want to thank you for bringing this awareness to me. And because it actually, it, it is part of the big picture of even this whole COVID thing right now, where I know in Quebec, I, I believe they passed the law allowing the government essentially to have complete control over your child in regards to the vaccine. Yeah. And then we also have these cases I live in British Columbia where there was this one father and I know others who were fighting for control of their child in the face of all this gender reassignment surgery stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how it's, 
it's a contradictory thing where children allegedly are able to figure out whether or not they want to get gender reassignment surgery, which has all kind or change or take the drugs or whatever that hormone blockers, which can cause permanent sterility and other issues. Um, they can have that according to the government, but, uh, not in these cases, of course, you know, and you, especially as the mother, you have no other recourse to say, I just don't want your treatment. I'm not neglecting my child. I just want to find a treatment that isn't going to damage the child and that we're losing our bodily autonomy our medical freedom when it comes to these shots, which are documented yeah. to cause death and destruction like we've never seen before all over the world. It's it's open and shut. There's going to be legal challenges throughout this country if any of these courts would actually hear it. Um, we're all hoping for that. But this dovetails, this your story dovetails into this problem with the medical system in general, that it has basically set itself up to have complete authority over your life and the life of your children. And now the government is adding even more legislation on the table to make it even more difficult for parents to have any control over their children. Um, it's, it's the old thing where they want the child raised by the state and that medical system is one of the strong arms of that state. And yeah, you're just, well, you've experienced it directly. And Mackenzie in the hospital was assessed for her gender. Mackenzie was like little house on the prairie. So she was like Laura Ingalls Wilder. So when I knew what they were going to do, I said to her, okay, um, they're going to want to speak with you. Um, it's safer for you to have mommy present while they ask you questions than for not. But I said, it's up to you. And she had me stay there. Mackenzie and I were really close and um, Ashlyn and I are really close too. So she had me there and they, so the doctor goes, so, you know, I'm going to be asking you some questions that you might not be comfortable talking about my mom around your mom. And she goes, oh, you can ask me anything. And she goes, oh, okay. So she goes, um, so, uh, you know, so what do you identify as? And she goes, I'm a girl. And um, she goes, oh, okay. Uh, so you're a girl. She goes, yes. And she goes, so, and you like, she goes, well, I like boys. And she goes, oh, so you identify as a boy? What? And I looked at the doctor and Mackenzie goes, did you not hear me? I am a girl and I identify as a girl. And she goes, and I like boys. I didn't say I was a boy. And she goes, the doctor, and I looked at the doctor. I said, did you not hear her? And she goes, oh, yes. Okay, so you're a girl. She goes, yes. And when she left, Mackenzie looked at me. She goes, mommy, I'm so happy you stayed. She goes, I like boys. I like Zac Efron. Yeah. Right. And uh, she goes, that was awful. She goes, I never once said that I was not a girl. She goes, I'm so happy you were here because, you know, our other mummies not here when they ask stuff like that. She goes, that's awful. So, but that's the kids are set up like that. So if I had, if she had said she identified as a unicorn, um, and I said, nope, she's a little girl. I gave birth to her. I would know. Then the CAS would have come in automatically. Really? It's that and if bad. Mac yeah. If Mackenzie wanted to go and get, um, psych meds or speak with a psychiatrist, she could have done that without me ever knowing. And if I said no to those medications, I could have been removed and, or they would have put a complaint against me that I was standing in way of the care of her care. Mm -hmm. And she's 12. It yeah, and they tried to force medication on her too, right? So they wanted her to be on uh, morphine 
And I was like, I was like, yeah, no. And then they wanted her to be on, oh my gosh, was it? So she had anxiety at one point, but she wasn't having anxiety. She was having a reaction to the antibiotics, right? Which was presenting as anxious. And so they wanted to give her a, um, was it Seroquel? It was one of the ones to help. Yeah. So they gave her half dose to go down for one of the procedures. And she, Mackenzie's like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. This is awful. And I said, yep. I said, you need to let them know. And I said, you don't need it anyways, Mackenzie. Um, and she didn't because literally you're giving antibiotics to a child. Antibiotics affect the central nervous system, the gut, the stomach, like all of it, right? So, and the brain. So of course, if you're having a reaction to an antibiotic and it makes you feel anxious, plus everybody is not listening to you and you're having to fight every aspect of everything that you're doing. It's anxiety course. just to be in those hospitals with the, with the, it's, it's, I get anxious thinking about going into a hospital, like yeah. let alone what she must've gone through, what a champion she was. And, and then what are the contraindications? Do they test it for all the contraindications of all of these different drugs all together mm -hmm. all at once, plus some psych meds for a 12 year old? Like, are these people insane? It's just, I want to, I'm so furious, man, Trina, this is just insane people need to know i hope everybody i know this was a tough story to hear but it's just a sad truth that unless we hear it unless we see it only then can we make a change um and, and the so, sad thing yeah, is here a sad thing here is that sick kids is touted as the top hospital i honestly think that they buy some of that publicity because there are lots of families who will say don't go there cas gets involved if you challenge them they won't test for lyme um, they don't, the standard of care doesn't help everybody. So parents have been, um, conditioned to believe that doctors know better than them. In all honesty, we are the ones that are supposed to be at the center of helping our kids because we're with right. them 24 seven. And if you know them better than anybody, that's right. If we're plugged into our children, like we're supposed to, we can make a huge difference for them and help navigate. Like doctors shouldn't be threatened by parents who are educated enough to or you know aware like dr gupta said to me he goes um we've had doctors in here who are in denial and you know they just have to go along with the protocol so it's not it, it has nothing to do with education level either it literally has to do with the way the process is and if they're deemed experts then you have to listen to them and there is no recourse so when people think oh, i'll sue them we're not like the states even though like we have a similar structure right between like with the way that countries were set up, we don't have the balls, <laughs> the majority of us, to do anything. And the way that our legislation is set up, it's so weak that in order to actually be able to do anything, like I thought once Mackenzie, at one point I reached out to a practice lawyer when Mackenzie couldn't open things, and she informed me that it wasn't severe enough for that to be classified as a malpractice. And I'm like, so, and this was before um, I was concerned, like things were progressing and her health declined. Like she literally in three weeks and almost two of those weeks we were in the hospital. She went from an 80 to a 20% diagnosis. Right. And, and just so the, the, the think of the logic, you're seeing signs and symptoms yeah. that the body's displaying. Okay. And that is a sign that there's a problem. That's what a symptom is, right? Mm -hmm. it, the way they look at it is in compartments. Like, oh, the fact that she can't open anything anymore after coming into the hospital, 
uh, that's just not severe enough. Well, it's the sign that there's damage to the nerves, to the something. You're doing something that is causing that, which could lead to something that's debilitating or worse, which is what it did. And so the this is, I hear these kind of nightmare stories constantly. I've seen it happen myself, Trina. Um, you know, I watched my mother go through the medical system for my entire life uh, dealing with these wackos. And I've seen so many other people. I've known many people as well that have been diagnosed with cancer. They get the diagnosis. They, they seem normal, you know, and then within days of being in under hospital care, they're just like, they're on death's bed and, and you're just, and they never come out. It's like anybody that goes in there just doesn't come out. And it's like, well, don't they ever sit back and wonder if their intervention is what is causing a lot of these deaths. And then the misdiagnosis thing, I wanted to ask you, 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 I trust your opinion more than these dingbat doctors. You know, your daughter, you watched her from day one. You watched her react to those initial childhood vaccines. You watched her react to so many other things. You took care of her daily. You also have expertise in the field. And do you think that she actually had a cancer? Do you think it was something else? What do you think? What's your opinion right now when you when you zoom out that what what was really going on with her in the first place? I think it was a misdiagnosis. I do believe that the vitamin B component played a major role and that there was inflammation in the intestinal tract, which couldn't allow her to absorb the nutrients that she needed. And they were just grasping at straws and they wouldn't acknowledge any of the testing that she had either. And I believe that the treatment caused the cancer. So I don't believe she had it. No. And I did put it out that I put that out to them. Like they were very upset with me because I was like, it's not cancer. I'm not scared of cancer. I said, the treatment is what scares me. Right. Mm -hmm. But I had also already said to them that I don't believe the diagnosis is true. And that put a red flag up for them, for me, because then you don't, yeah, you're get challenging it. them, right? Like that's how and, they look and, at it. And they, they wanted me to have my second opinion sent to McMaster. McMaster works with them. They picked out a doctor for me to send for a second opinion. And when they do a second opinion, they don't give you full access to her file either. They give access to what appears to be what they want it to be. So I could never have gotten a true, uh, right, unless I was able to get her out. So in at the end of this, I had an appointment with this incredible doctor who was going to support us um, with her care. And I really do believe this doctor and I will share off, like I can tell you if you're ever looking for someone, just because the way that things are set up, I, I want other families to be able to utilize this person. But um, I would have, I really do feel we would have had a really great, great chance. It's just that that three week period is it, it tanked her. So what they All did that, to her. Yeah, the barrage of stuff they threw at her. And, yeah. and let's not also forget about the psychological aspect of everything. Yeah. Here's this beautiful girl who's going into this extremely traumatic experience. Like it is, it reminds me of like the ending scene, the of ET, you know, where it's just so traumatic, like the whole thing that causes a lot of problems. Um, you mentioned that she also had the swelling of the tongue and the lesion that you looked at as, as AIDS. And, and when people they hear AIDS, me. They asked you, but AIDS, just so people remind, that's uh, talking about your it's autoimmune deficiency. That's correct. Um, so that, and it makes sense because what does cancer treatment do? It destroys your immune system. It's the whole point to bypass the immune system. What do antibiotics do? It's a nuclear bomb in the gut and it kills all of your immune cells so that it can, yeah. right? So 
all the treatments they're doing were destroying her immune system while she's suffering from whatever this original thing was, whether it was Lyme or whether it was uh, the vit- whatever it was that triggered it all. Mm-hmm. It may have even been kicked off from day one on those childhood vaccines that were oh, for sure. operating, right? Do you feel like that? thousand percent that she was predispositioned from birth and like we inherit it right so like and no one talks about that and that was so so cool right so if your mom had measles and your dad had mumps well you inherit those and you're immune but they don't talk about that so then they go and give you the additional vaccines on top of that and then the kids will have these major erections because they already had immunity to it so what so right so i had chicken pox so so it's generational so like you know if your parents had the wild you then you get that then you have their wild then you have your own wild if you have chicken pox then you pass it on to your kid but now it's like no let's vaccinate these kids <laughs> with like 72 doses or whatever by the time that and now it's more um by the time that they're 18. so mackenzie was predisposition a thousand percent she had way more than i had like none of us are caught up like when they when people go on this anti-vax rant um, if you got, you know, if it, you're a drunk driver and your child gets killed because of a drunk driver, you're not anti-car, right? Mm-hmm. That the person who was responsible for that. So um, none of us are anti-vax. We are damaged. We've all had lessons that were taught from that, which results in us being like, hey, no, that's not for us. And if they didn't demonize people by having that discussion, everybody could actually sit back and go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like. I don't understand when people can see a person who um, injects themselves with meth or one of the, you know, whatever in meth isn't injected, but whatever one heroin, right? Right. The reason they die so quickly is it bypasses digestion. That's the reason if you get into the hospital and if you've taken it orally, you have a better chance because your stomach can be pumped. Once you go into that vein, it just goes wherever it wants. It doesn't even have the proper processing. So the same thing with vaccines. That's why when they say that, they're safe and effective. My goodness, they don't even go through the proper channels in our body to actually yeah. be able to support us. And like with the cancer um, treatment, their their port line goes up their arm and right over their heart. Oh my god! And they're and and stuff. And this is the stuff that you're telling me they gotta dress up like they're space astronauts in order to go in and even yeah. administer it to a twelve year old child. That's insane. And another thing I wanted to say real quick about that vaccine thing with everybody that's like with the anti-vax, anti, I'm like, yeah, none of the adults are up to date with those 72 shots. So you're all walking around alleged. You're saying, oh, well, my kid can't play with your kid because they haven't had these 72 shots. It's like, yeah, well, you haven't had them either. Show me an adult that's gotten caught up on all of them. The whole thing is over. The whole debate is done with that whole herd immunity. No, we don't have even close. There's so many adults walking around that don't have any of these shots. And the seniors, it's the same thing. So seniors had about three, if seniors. So at one point in time, I think two years ago, seniors were four to one in Canada, four seniors to one child. If the seniors had risen, right? And as our leaders and and stood up, none of them are vaccinated, uh, caught up. They're like three. Now, if they went and got them- if they got their flu shot or, you know, if they were doing that, then that's completely different. But like, so they're around their grandkids. So the government has just made it where everybody has put in layers. So that that generation had a certain amount, but you can't say we're up to date or not anymore because none of us are. Now, the concerning thing about that though is some bright light 
um, who is trying to run everything for us might think that we all need to get caught up on the same schedule, um, which might wake up more people to realize that, hey, no, I'm fine, right? But it's sad. They're not right? going to stop a COVID vaccine. They're going to try to put the whole schedule into the, uh, they're working on this in California and in That's places right. in the States, yeah. That's right. And most people don't know that. So when this all happened, as soon as it happened, I was like, yeah, we're in trouble because the majority of people were asleep just doing everything that worked for them. Right. You don't have to worry about stuff that like the vaccine part. I've been talking to people going on, I don't know, a good 15 years to try to see if people would wake up and have those discussions and say, no, it's OK. Don't be scared. Like parents like, oh, my gosh, my child's going to get X, Y, Z. But they already usually got the wild, like do a tighter, see if you have, you know, they do that for dogs. Dogs can go and you can get a tighter done for your dog to see if your rabies, if it's still um, prevalent in the body, but we don't do that for ourselves and they don't let us. It's funny how they don't let you, eh? Because they don't want the truth out, Trina. They don't want I you know. to know that the whole medical system is a criminal racket run by a global criminal cartel that has a totally different modus operandi than the general public knows all you got to do is just talk to people just like yourself and there's far too many that will tell you their experience with these white coats and with these these whole things and because of the way they look at this in a compartmentalized fashion they look at the body compartmentalized their whole structure is compartmentalized you were even talking about they got one guy to come in and do anesthesia they got another guy to come in and do this another mm -hmm. guy to look at that even the doctors don't always agree with each other and then um you know, you're sitting there going, well, you're a, you're a holistic nutritionist. You look at the body as a holistic system that you just need to take care of that system and allow the immune system to do the magic that it does. And that will result in health. It's a totally different way of looking at health. And yet every time I talk to these pr uh, practitioners like yourself and many others, I've, I've interviewed many, they have incredible success rates, reversing mm -hmm. cancers, reversing these conditions. And yet they're still called quacks by the people that are killing people in the hospitals daily. And they're just walking away going, oh, well, it wasn't our treatment. It couldn't have possibly been. It's unbelievable. It's a crime and, against And humanity. I don't understand because like Mackenzie pointed out to them and so did I because she wanted to read through the treatment that she was being given. And she said, that says cancer. I'm like, yeah, I know. She goes, that says something to do with their kidneys and damage. Yeah, I know. And she goes, so like, I'm never going to get away from this. I will always have cancer or the chance of it being triggered off. I said, we can get you into a place that I, I and I, I still believe that to this day that she could have been into a place. If I had found this one uh, doctor initially um, who would work with her, Mackenzie would have been in a different place. So because, and there is a way cancer isn't, if you think of cancer as um, it, and in cases, like when you have a tumor, it's protecting you, you know, um, it, it's literally trying to put all of the poison into the one area. So the body can then keep it into that one area. And then you right. notice that a lot of people that go and have it removed and then it spreads throughout the entire body. Right. So it's just our bodies are amazing. The uh, a friend of mine's in Mexico and they have a system set up where a lot of people are like, it's scary to go anywhere else, right? But they have a system set up that before you get to a doctor, you have to go to a naturopath, a homeopath, a nutritionist, and then a doctor. And then if that doctor thinks that you are, um, you know, not well enough, then you go into a hospital. You don't even make it to the hospital until you go to those that system. Um, 
so why can't Canada have something like that? And that's one thing I said to, yeah. to um, sick kids. Why aren't you guys working as a team? Because it would make a huge difference. Oh, we let some naturopaths come in here for some of the families, but we don't buy into There's no other cure for cancer. I said, not when you kill the kids. Like you're making, you're making it. Cause I said to um, one of the doctors, I said, please stop telling me that you're going to cure her. I said, we're going to be cycled throughout this. So her kidneys will fail. We'll end up on another floor. Her heart's going to fail. We'll end up on another floor. Mm -hmm. uh, they even offered fertility because Mackenzie was like, I want to have a child. She's like, I, that's one of the reasons she didn't want treatment. She said, I want to be able to have a baby. And <laughs> they tried to offer a 12 year old an interview with a fertility specialist in the hospital about IVF treatment. And she's like, what? Because she didn't even understand what that was. And then I explained that what it had to do. And she goes, oh, I don't want that. She goes, I want my own baby. And her, it was on her mind a lot. She's like, how am I, um, you know, will I be able to have a, be a mom when I get older? Like, don't I have a right to be a mom? And they have a floor at SickKids that you can go. So we would go do our walks where you can go and donate your child's sperm before you begin treatment. Oh, my God. And it costs a certain amount. And I mean, they had young children on this brochure. And that costs quite a bit to, amount to store it and to keep it there. But that's another thing that they created, right? They created another part of the hospital to fill a need for a poor child that um, can't have a child. And like, it's just, it was, it's really sad. And parents need to wake up. There is no more time. There is no more time. And especially if things roll out the way they're supposed to come um, August and September. Yeah, and if, I don't know if if BC is looking to pass something, because I think you mentioned that there was something similar to, or you had thought that you had heard something that was similar I see the to, legislation. People are sharing. They're like, it's on the floor. They're trying to put it in because they got yeah. it in Quebec. And then they have the rule in place here where if it comes to gender reassignment surgery, parents don't have any say. That's but correct. they're trying to add in the next layer because of COVID. I think COVID is trying to open up the door for these people yeah. to be able to use COVID as the way to justify the, the doctor, the medical system being able to take control of your child. But we know they're not just going to stop at COVID. They're going to branch this out to every other aspect of the medical field because it's a business. It's a business. You, you read the, you read the document generation 2030, right? That was let out by, um, I think it was 2019 yeah. for children, what they plan to do for kids. So children yeah. will literally be able to go and pick what they identify as and regarding animals and everything. It is very bizarre. And by that time, the way things are going, most of the parents are so checked out anyways that it's going to be very easy. And so what your goal here is, Trina, is to tell people this story so that it snaps them to attention so that they're going to start looking into this so they don't have to experience it the way you did. Correct. They need to, um, one, I'm highly suggesting that they have a plan in place or a practitioner in place that they can go to beforehand and or hook up. Um, with a practitioner now so that you have the knowledge to be able to not end up the way that I did and stay away from the hospitals altogether. Like the way that things unfolded, Mackenzie's, um, like mass cells, it's incredibly hard. Like most people don't even know what that is. And the hospital recognized that as part of your immune system and it's not a big deal, even though autoimmune illness is a big deal, which what mass cells are part of that, right? So my prayer in sharing this with you is that I save one parent or family or child from going down this road and they start to have the conversations and not view what's happening as not taking it lightly. 
So I hope that helped. And Mackenzie wanted me to share this. I'm kind of quiet to a degree, so um, that I promised her because she wanted to do this for herself. And I'm starting a foundation, if all goes well, called Mackenzie's Voice. Oh, good. To be able to, yeah. yeah, to be able to get the word out. So because no one knows this, no one knows that a child can't choose. No one knows that parents lose rights. No one knows that CAS within the hospital is, I, I, could, I can't say nobody. I'm sure lots of people have experienced it, but the mass amount of people that I've spoken to, they're like, what are you talking about? That's my yeah. child, I get to choose. No, you don't, especially with cancer. And if they get put on medication, no, you don't either. You will have to maneuver your way because if they deem that to be in the best interest of the child, which is the wonderful tagline that is used by um, the system that we live in, then, and you don't agree, because that's how Quebec, that legislation got put through. They literally use that line the best interest of the child and that they can supersede parents in any guardianship. Yeah. Like, no. Well, look what they did with COVID. I mean, it tells you everything, the direction they're going to go. They were already basically threatening parents. If you don't do these protocols that we've given you, then you're now a threat to your child. And now uh, there's all these other cases. I'm sure people are going to email me telling me the nightmare stories they went through just because they didn't want to mask their kid at school or get them a vaccine or get them tested every two seconds or whatever it was. Um, so you could see that that's where the move was going was to install a medical technocracy, a medical tyranny mm -hmm. uh, where they would be able to supersede government. And then I hate to break it to everybody. I'm not sure if they've seen what's going on with the WHO where they are trying to pass global legislation and they only need 70% of the countries to agree to it, by the way. Uh, that they will be able to, whenever they declare a pandemic on anything, they can bypass your the Nuremberg codes just like they did. They can bypass your charters, your constitutions, just as they have done. Uh, they want to have basically a permanent power in the world to keep the switch going on and off with all these pandemics. And um, it's just this is the system that we need to overthrow because it's incredibly evil. It's corrupt. It's wrong. And would you agree with me? We could finish on this note, Trina. There are better ways to deal with these problems that are out there. This isn't us saying don't deal with problems. We're saying don't go to these people for the problems. There are better people. There are better ways. Health is an inside job. It's a daily practice. And yeah. these people don't know anything about that. So you're also trying to get out there and, and educate people on the alternatives to this medical uh, mafia, right? Yes. And when you think about it, it is our responsibility, but this whole programming for the last two years has turned it around as do it for others. It's so backwards. You can't fix somebody else. And if your health, like if like the majority of people who had um, reactions to any of this before the vaccines rolled out had a higher adipose, adipose tissue ratio to the majority of other people, meaning their fat ratio was higher, which means that their immune system was functioning much higher. So like, no one talks about any of that. And if everybody took responsibility for themselves, like it's my responsibility what happened with Mackenzie, even though it was out of my hands, it's still my responsibility. I ended up there with her and I will own that. But most people don't want to even own the little things that they're doing and they want everybody else to jump off that cliff for them if it makes them better. So yes, you're absolutely right. And the practitioners within Canada need to take a stand and not be afraid. And I know a lot of them have, but they not need to start forming communities. I'm, I'm beginning to work with one within the GTA area. Mm. I'm learning more about that to be able to help people outside of the system as well. So when that's more 
known, um, I can um, share that with other people too. So they know that there's a place to go and where it's not so outrageously priced that they can't afford it, especially with the way things are going financially for most people, they can't afford the alternative because it is more expensive because it's not covered. So if yeah. people can, if people can look to price that in a way or have bundles that are set up that they can actually afford, that will also be um, beneficial for them. Well, final question people are going to be asking me Trina after watching this and thank you so much for your courage for for your words um sending all my love and support to you and your mission here and and just you know whatever I can do you let me know but one thing people are going to ask me is how do I help where do I go to help uh you're setting up the foundation uh is there any way people can reach out to you do you have a a site you're going to be building or something like that I'm looking at building, um, I've got the website name, Mackenzie's Voice, so that's taken care of. And then I'm looking at um, pulling together all the pieces for that. I'm still trying to figure it all out. If anybody would like to reach out to me, you can reach me at trina at foodfueled.com because I don't have an email set up for that yet because I still, I mean, she just passed away on March 28th. So I'm just trying to get everything um, together to be able to help as many people. And if they have... If people are struggling with this, then reach out to because I would love to be able to provide a way for them, not, you know, direct them to other sources. Uh, like I said, there are some doctors that I, I that are operating that I learned about too late because they were so well taken care of and hidden for the good reasons, right, in this regard, because no one will touch children with a 10-foot pole. So I have lots of children in my practice and I've never turned anybody away no matter what. Um, and more people need to be stepping up for families to provide that for them. So yeah, they could reach out that way and then I can let them know how things progress. Well, I'll include the website and our, our hope here is that this also inspires other health practitioners, whether you're in the mainstream system or holistic or alternative in any way to rally behind this cause and be aware of this and start to learn about it. And the more we can educate those people that are out there actually advocating for the patient and actually following the Hippocratic Oath and actually working towards bettering their health instead of putting them into this factory farm system that we need to look at deeply, uh, then we can inspire you to also join this fight and help us turn this around. Um, I'd like to see more of these private care, you know, reasonably priced options. I'd like to see more patient advocacy that's actually sane. I'd like to see even lawyers and legal teams stepping up to help add that protection because we have to protect ourselves against this government who is grossly violating uh, our rights here in this country. And I'm sure people listening around the world could share stories that are similar. So your, your words and your story, Trina, I'm hoping that it goes out far and wide and inspires people and wakes people up and gets people active because parents, we are the ones that are in charge and responsible for our children. And we can't let the, the government and this medical system uh, get in that way. And we have to do this in the, in the way that's going to be better for everybody. So Trina, thank you so much. And oh, thank uh, you. please follow up with me, stay in touch. And when you launch the site, when you get it up and going, uh, let me know. And we can even bring you back for a quick segment just to update and tell people about it. Uh, we'd love to do that with you and make sure we get it out far and wide. Okay. Thank you so much. And thanks for uh, meeting with me. It was really nice. Thank you. Absolutely. My honor. Thank you. Well, thanks everybody. That's a wrap for today. Let's get out there and uh, let's spread the truth. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thanks.